You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. It just continues. My, oh, my. Rapino sends it in low. Go, U.S. It's Sue Bird's building. You bet. She is unconscious right now. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. Of course, as always, I'm your host here with you, Charles Hamaker. Uh, we continue through August, and you know what it means when we get to the end of the summer months. Obviously, uh, the Mariners continue their season, but as we get towards the end of the you know summer, uh, Seahawks preseason training camp, that rolls on. And as we talked about last week, there's going to be a lot more news about that, whether it's roster moves, injury updates. Uh, good and bad and the like, you know, the rain continue their season. The storm is still going on. Uh, the Sounders are showing their little bit of a break. Uh, so without all that, we'll get back into what we started talking about with the Seahawks, excuse me, and their training camp. So beginning, uh, we're starting with injury news. Uh, on the 3rd of August, uh, pass rusher Daryl Taylor sprained his left shoulder but does not need surgery. Uh, the team is waiting to see how long he'll be out. That was back on the third. We still do not have an update on Taylor. Uh, so that's a big hit, obviously, to the team's pass rushing ability there. Last year, Taylor tied for the team lead in sacks. So they're going to need him to get back and better. Uh, but yeah, as of the moment, no current update uh, on Daryl Taylor. We're going to continue in the sort of injury update sort of realm, as you can see in the top of your screen there. Uh, talked about Zach Charbonnet last week. Not really sure what was going on with him. He was out indefinitely at the time with a shoulder injury. Seattle wanted to see more of the extent of what was going on there. He is fine now. He was able to participate in the team's mock game last Friday, uh, August 4th. So that's good news. Not so good news on the 4th. Uh, during that mock game, running back Kenny McIntosh, who was taking over sort of as the running back during training camp because Kenneth Walker III and Zach Charbonnet had been out, uh, has a left knee sprain. The severity of that was unknown at the time. We'll get to that as we get through the rest of these updates here. That was on the 4th. Uh, wide receiver Derek Young is dealing with a hip-slash-groin injury, uh, which is why he did not play in the mock game. The severity of that was also unknown, but again, we'll get updates on those two as we continue on here. Just want to go through it chronologically so you can get sort of a timeline built in your head. August 5th, uh, the hits kind of keep on coming here as rookie cornerback Andrew Whitaker uh, injured his patella tendon, uh, which is a big deal. Uh, I don't know if anybody would remember it, but uh, during his time here in Seattle, Jimmy Graham injured his patella tendon, and there are athletes who will not come back from that injury. Uh, it's a long process. It's a, it's a hard process to get back from, uh, so it's not going to be an easy road for Whitaker here, and it sucks for him to have to deal with that sort of injury uh, at the beginning of his career there. Uh, he will undergo season-ending surgery to repair the damage on that patella tendon injury. On the six, we have some positive sort of injury-related news. Cornerback Reek Woolen passed his physical, so Seattle's now second-year corner uh, has been cleared to come off the physically unable to perform list. It's a big boost there. Uh, Pete Carroll wasn't shying away from that sort of uh, label for him when talking about Reek, saying that he's going to be a starter, which, I mean, makes a ton of sense uh, for Seattle after his really big season 
where, as we talked about last week, uh, it was tied for the league lead interception. So that's some positive news there. Updates on McIntosh and Young, as I talked about. Uh, Kenny McIntosh will be out for a couple weeks due to a left knee sprain. So that sucks. Uh, Seattle... Uh, not gotten into, gotten into their uh, actual preseason games just yet. That happens in upcoming. We have a Seahawks game upcoming for the first time in, in a long time. So we'll get to that here in a second. Won't be able to participate in that. And then wide receiver Derek Young is day-to-day. Uh, so that's a little bit more positive. You know, with the hip and a groin injury, either of those especially uh, can be dangerous, can keep out for a long period of time. But sounds like that will not be the case with him. I know that Seattle will just kind of – ease him out of things there and and be more cautious uh, as they were with Charbonnet uh, this past week. So it'll be interesting to see if Derek Young takes a hit because that fourth wide receiver position for the Seahawks behind Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and Jackson Smith and Jigba is still up in the air considering some of the news that we'll get to in team-related news. So we'll continue on. Team notes, there will be sort of little roster moves there you'll notice through training camp. And even with the Seahawks throughout the course of the year, there are guys that they like and they'll wave them and bring them back at a later point in time. We're seeing that right now uh, with roster-related moves. On the 1st of August, the team signed nose tackle Robert Cooper, waving nose tackle uh, Roderick Perry II. Remember Perry's name because we'll hear from him later throughout the week. Uh, on the 3rd, a little. this one's kind of an injury-related update, but Charbonnet got back to doing drills, running routes, and catching passes on the third, a day before that mock draft, I mean, mock game took place. I also got a carry during a team run period, which is good, encouraging science to see for a guy that had been held out for a little bit and a guy that factors to be probably getting some solid carries throughout the year uh, for the Seahawks here behind Kenneth Walker the third. On the fourth, um, we also found, before the mock game took place, we found out, the wide receiver D Eskridge has been suspended six games for violating the team, uh, the NFL's personal conduct policy. Uh, he can participate in preseason games and practice, but he is not able to uh, participate play in regular season games until after week seven. Uh, so that's a problem. He did participate in the mock game. Uh, he had three catches for 40 yards, uh, but uh, obviously somewhat of a concerning case here with Eskridge uh, just with all with with what this entails. Uh, Eskridge agent did release a statement saying in early February 2023, Dwayne was involved in an unfortunate incident with his child's mother, which resulted in his arrest and the filing of misdemeanor charges. Dwayne quickly took responsibility for his role in this incident. He has entered into an agreement whereby the misdemeanor charges will be dismissed in 12 months when he completes domestic violence morale uh, recognition therapy. Dwayne has already enrolled in and has begun that therapy. He has not been convicted of any crime. He entered into this agreement because it is the best interest of his family. Uh, He deeply regrets any embarrassment this incident has caused his family, the Seahawks, and the NFL. So, uh just with that i mean obviously it's encouraging to hear you know about uh kind of owning up to it i don't we don't know the full scope of what took place but obviously um at least on the it's bad to go straight into the football standpoint so i'll try to not go straight into it uh but from the football standpoint obviously hurts him because he struggled with seattle to really stick dealing with injuries uh that the pick uh 
how high he was selected by Seattle was criticized. So it really was a big year for D to kind of come out and potentially be a big factor in this offense. Uh, but just, you know, uh, again, not knowing the full extent of it, I'm not going to make an entirely full judgment, but to go out there and own up to it is, is a good sign, I guess, uh, if, if for, take it at minimum. So, um, yeah, Seattle will be without D. Eskridge for six games of the regular season. He can still participate in these preseason games uh, and in practices. So you'll probably still see him in practices and in preseason games, but not outside of that. Uh, and then one last roster move to round out the uh, the week. I almost said season. Um, on August 6th, the team waived defensive end MJ Anderson and brought back Roderick Perry the second. So he's back. Um Seattle's still trying to figure out some things along their front seven after, you know, struggling to stop the run last year, still being a team that struggles to get to the passer. Um, so I, it's not a surprise. I don't think that they're really trying to figure out maybe with some of these guys who might be diamonds in the rough, see who's going to be a fit, who can potentially contribute, who is a diamond in the rough um, along the front seven, along the defensive line. So the Seahawks have a game to look forward to uh, August 10th. Yes, August 10th, that is Thursday, uh, versus the Minnesota Vikings here at Lumen Field, a 7 p.m. kickoff. That is the team's first preseason game um, of the three with the new, well, not really new anymore, with the uh, schedule changes in the NFL taking place last year. Uh, the Seahawks, uh, well, every team in the NFL only has three preseason games, and this is always a big opportunity for some of the rookies, uh, sort of guys who are on their last chances or guys just trying to make an impact to go out and make that impact uh, and maybe settle some position battles. Obviously, with a lot of last year's group returning, Seattle probably won't have too much surprise uh, with where their roster, their depth chart will stand. But say, again, you never know. This is where preseasons where guys can make their mark and really earn a spot. So it'll be interesting to see if anybody does that for the Seahawks, uh, who steps up, who shows out. We move over to our Mariners who continue throughout the regular season. Uh, there was a lot. Well, last time I left you here, we were looking at the trade deadline, what the Mariners might do. I thought that Seattle would largely stay put and, and they kind of did that, but we have games to get to before we get to the trade deadline and what occurred uh, in the days before that. So we'll get to that, but I was, I was told uh, we'll get to that. I, I almost skipped ahead. Uh, Looking into the games that the Mariners played over the past week. Um, oh, shoot. Um, the Mariners had a short little three-game homestand uh, after going on a, a six-game and seven-day road trip and having played a 10-game homestand before that road trip. Three-game three, uh, three game homestand, three-game series against the Boston Red Sox team that the, the Mariners were trying to uh, – leap over for uh in that wild card race uh july 31st versus the red sox a six to two win our play of the game designated hitter on the day cal raleigh two hits two runs and two rbis for cal a multi-homer game cal has uh well i think after we get to this last one here cal has done really well against teams in the american league east particularly the red sox and the tampa bay rays uh, you can see our photo of the game here by stage Zepetto, 
Dominic Canzone, uh, and if you have been living under a rock or don't really follow the Mariners that well, you're like, who in the hell is Dominic Canzone? We'll get to that in a second. And it'll make more sense after we talk about the trade deadline. So uh, that was game one of the series. Oops. Game two, August 1st versus the Red Sox, day of the trade deadline. The Mariners would lose that game four to six. A tough one, uh, a tough outing by Bryce Miller here. Wasn't really able to uh, get into things. Um, hmm. Hmm. Might have gotten the order mixed up on these. Anyway. Um, oh, yes. Here is game one photo of the game. Um, Matthew Bermuda has captured this. J.P. Crawford captured, uh, caught a line drive that would have been straight up the middle uh, to end the game. Great play by J.P. Uh, great photo, too, to see the reaction of it. That is game one. I apologize. I had them out of order. Wackadoodle time. Uh, game two, August 1st versus the Red Sox, a 4-6 to six loss. Uh, Bryce Miller had a tough outing. Uh, the offense really kind of couldn't get going after putting up a great streak of 10-plus hits. Um, and I believe it was like five consecutive games at the end of the day before, but then it really sort of ended as the Mariners lost that one. That's the photo of the game from August 1st. I apologize. Um, our player of the game, third baseman, A. Eugenio Suarez, Gino, two hits, one run, and three ribbies on the day, three runs batted in. Uh, but the Mariners do lose that one to set up the rubber match on August 2nd versus the Red Sox, a 6-3 win. Our play of the game, third baseman, Eugenio Suarez. Once again, Gino, three hits, one run, and one RBI. He continued his streak at the time. Uh, and we'll get to that streak as he continued it uh, into the Angels series. Uh, continued to drive uh, runners in. Uh, apologize there. And Cal Raleigh had another uh, multi-homer game, as you can see in this photo of the game here by Sage. Uh, continues to hit really well against the American League East teams. So this was a big series win to go out and take two or three against the Red Sox, uh, especially considering that they were a team above the Mariners in the standings. Um, they're a team above the Mariners in the standings there. And, you know, whenever the Mariners play the Red Sox, it's always seemed to be a tough sort of series, especially here in Seattle. So after that three-game homestand, that three-game set, they went down to L.A., or more likely Anaheim, because they don't actually play in Los Angeles, to play the Angels. Now, the Angels went all in, obviously, at the trade deadline. Uh, they wanted to try and impress Shohei Otani, who will become a free agent this offseason. And so much for that impress as you can see, I've got the broom there on the screen as the Mariners would complete a four-game sweep of the Angels, something they haven't done since 2005. I was four years old in 2005, just to give you, not to make people feel old, but, you know. Anyway, uh, August 3rd, to begin that series against the Angels, a 5-3 to three win. I play the game left fielder, Cade Marlowe, the rookie, getting called up in sort of an emergency status after Jared Kelnick got injured a few weeks ago. Had two hits, one run, and one I mean, four RBIs with a go-ahead grand slam in the top of the ninth inning to give the Mariners a lead. Uh, turned on a 99-mile-per-hour ball up and in and really shocked uh, 
the Angels in that one. The Angels had brought in Reynaldo Lopez, who was acquired in the White Sox deal that also saw them get uh, Lucas Giolito. Uh, had been having a great season. And then uh, the Angels brought in their closer, Estevez, who had not blown a save all season until Cade Marlowe hit that uh, that grand slam, uh, which was big, which is really big for the Mariners. They take game one of that series. Uh, game two on the fourth, a 9-7 to seven win, a real slugfest. As Luis Castillo got the start in this one, kind of struggled, uh, gave up a couple homers in this one, including a first pitch uh, solo homer by Luis Rangifo. Uh, but the Mariners win that slugfest. They put up a four spot in the first inning. In the second inning, Dylan Moore has a solo homer, uh, and they're able to put that together. Our player of the game for game two, center fielder Julio Rodriguez. Julio, two hits, two runs, two RBIs, and two walks on the day, including a two-run homer. So the Mariners, with those two wins to open up the series, at least guarantee a series split. And then we get excuse me, to August 5th at the Angels. A 3-2 to two win, a really tight one here. Uh, the Mariners are able to pull things out uh, in the clutch. Our player of the game, pitcher George Kirby, seven innings pitched, three hits, only one earned run against Jorge, no walks, and five strikeouts. It's his ninth quality start of the season with no walks, which leads Major League Baseball, uh, and his 16th quality start overall on the season, which is tied for third in Major League Baseball. Now, when I talk to people, uh, at the trade deadline, well, not the trade deadline, at the All-Star break about George Kirby and how he should have been an All-Star anyway, despite him getting in as sort of a, uh, as he got in as an injury replacement player. I talk about stuff like that. I mean, George Kirby has elite control. Um, yeah, most quality starts. My brain had ultra quality starts, but quality starts. Um, really helped. The Mariners really relied on the bullpen in these games, especially after Castillo didn't have the greatest outing. He was able to go an extra inning, though, in that second game of the series. Um, and, I mean, even even if the Mariners hadn't used their bullpen a ton, it's nice to just give your bullpen a break anyway, considering how great they've been. Uh, and George was able to do that. So uh, that was a series win. The Mariners brought the brooms out or the mobs, um, to sweep away the Angels in the game four of the series, August 6th at the Angels. Another three to two win our play of the game. Pitcher Bryce Miller. Now, Bryce only went five innings, uh, so he didn't get the quality start in this one, but he only allowed five hits, one run, which did come in the first inning, uh, no walks, and 10 strikeouts. He has 10 strikeouts through five innings. His first six outs that he recorded were all strikeouts through those two innings. Um, and, you know, after that Boston outing that I talked about in that series, I was kind of worried about Bryce because he hadn't really seen this sort of workload yet. Uh, and I was wondering if the velocity was going to be down and if he wasn't able to really sort of replicate what we had seen at the beginning of the year. Um, and he, he, he had a pretty solid outing for the Mariners in this one. Taylor Saucedo comes out in the last two innings, in the ninth and the tenth inning, yes, because this one went into ten innings. Um, was able to shut things down. So that was a big one uh, for Saucedo to do that local guy here. Um, the Mariners get that third run in the top of the tenth inning, and they come away with the sweep down in California and come back for a somewhat big homestand. So we'll get to that here in a second. Um, Oh, I went with, wait a minute. 
Oh, yeah. I went with Teo. Um, I apologize because my notes say something different. So uh, I went with Player of the Week. I went with Teoscar Hernandez. I mean, Cal Raleigh had the best OPS of the team over the past seven games, but he was hitting a 200 batting average, which isn't great, um, even though he has been hitting the ball well. Uh, but Teo had more of a rounded game, and then you look over these past seven games he played, he only played in six of them, and he still put up these numbers. Nine hits, two runs, three doubles, four homers for four extra base hits. Two ribbies, a 360 batting average, which is great for Teo, considering that he's largely a boomer bust kind of guy. Uh, he's either a homer or a strikeout. And then, I mean, a 360 batting average is pretty solid. And a 960 OPS for Teo there, uh, which is really big. The Mariners, if they're going to make this sort of push here, they're going to need Teoscar Hernandez to be uh, a summer Teo, as we've kind of seen him there. So, like the little broom, the little broom I put in there. Anyway, um, this is big. This is really big because, you know, at the trade deadline, the Mariners mostly stayed pat. They made one major move, a couple of smaller moves uh, on actual trade deadline day. And then in the, the days leading into it, uh, they acquired that Trent, the Trent Thornton trade we talked about uh, a week ago or two. But with the Angels being largely in third place in the AL West, kind of hanging around that uh, wildcard picture, Acquiring Giolito and Lopez and CJ Crone and Mike Moustakis um, at the trade deadline, you're like, oh, shoot, they're kind of gearing up here, which those trades were largely mid. I mean, they really weren't nothing to blow away from. Um, this is big to go down to, to get a series win, let alone a sweep against the Angels, uh, considering what the Angels are trying to do, uh, still having Shoei Otani. There were a couple big moments where the Mariners bullpen came through and got Shoei Otani out of there. Matt Brash in that third game of the series when they won three to two, uh, the three, again, game three of the series, not game four, um, to go out and strike out Shohei Otani um, in a big, big moment was big. Uh, that's big, big. You get the point. Um, the magnitude can't be overstated, you know, and to do this, to gain that ground, to be only two and a half games out of a wild card spot, you're six games out of the top of the division, which is still possible, but it's more than likely, if anything, it's going to be a wild card spot. Uh, to leapfrog over a bunch of teams, including the ones that you just played in Boston, in Los Angeles, Anaheim, um, it's impressive. I mean, again, a lot of people, there's a lot of anger. Uh, after the traded line came and passed. But if you look at the bats that were traded, there wasn't a lot of impact. Um, it was mostly the pitchers, and the Mariners don't need pitching, per se. They've got a lot of that starting and relief pitching depth throughout the organization. We've seen that throughout the course of the year as the Mariners have called up Bryce Miller and Brian Wu, and then the bullpen, you know, guys like Isaiah Campbell, Ty Adcock, Prelender Baroa, uh, oh shoot, I'm forgetting names. And now, you know, bringing in Trent Thornton, having him come in. So it's impressive. It's really impressive. They're going to have to continue this as they've got some important series coming up, including one against the Orioles uh, this weekend, an Orioles team that has really impressed this season and is near the top. I, I think they're at the actual top of the American League East. Uh, and that's going to be a big big series as well, not only because of uh, the fact that the Mariners need to keep winning, the fact that the Orioles are, again, I want to be sure, so we're going to look here at the AL East standings. 
but also because of how big, how competitive that series was out in Baltimore a little bit. Yeah, top of the top of the AL East. It might be top of the American League. Yeah, top of the American League. Oh, and tied with the Atlanta Braves for the most wins in baseball at 70. So, yeah, it's a big series. Um, so, I mean, if they can continue to do that, obviously we've talked about it through the course of the year. The pitching has never really been a big problem. It's been the, the, the offensive consistency, and we've seen more of that. You know, the nine runs in game two, three runs in the last two games, eh, not so great. But even before then, seeing the Mariners kind of average five runs a game is a big improvement for what they have been doing um, for the large part of the season. So now we will get into the trade deadline. Uh, the big trade that the Mariners made was on July 31st, a day before the deadline itself, the team traded relief pitcher uh, Paul Seawald, a fan favorite, a clubhouse favorite. Um, on the emotional side of things, yes, this is a big blow because a lot of Mariner fans had really become uh, – big lovers of Paul uh, came into this organization at 31 years old, having been cast away by the Mets at the time, really kind of seemed like he was running out of options. The Mariners and their pitching, you know, coaches and staff as a whole really turned his career around, you know, and he joked about it with the media uh, after he had been traded. He said, I wouldn't be getting traded for three prospects uh, from a contending team if I hadn't come here and gotten my career revived, which, you know, it's not wrong. Um, so it was tough. It's tough. It was a guy like Paul, who's been such a big part of this team, uh, since he joined them. I mean, you see this photo by live here, uh, was a part of that 18 inning game against the Astros, uh, has largely taken over the closer role. If the Mariners really haven't had a closer outside of Edwin Diaz, uh, it's been a long time since then is the point. Um, but yeah, so the Mariners get three, uh, Younger guys, and that, that's how I described it in our write-up of it, younger uh, athletic bats. Outfielder Dominic Kenzone is one of them. We showed you that photo of him earlier. Uh, Kenzo, we wrote about it again, so I'll flash this on there uh, so you know where to find stuff like that. But anyway, Kenzone, to briefly describe these guys, Kenzone has hit at every level of professional baseball he's played at. Uh, whether that was uh, even in the college levels and the minor league levels. And he didn't really, he had only been called up for like half of July by the time that the Mariners acquired him. So people look at his stats uh, at the time through 40 at pass and like, oh, this is horrible. And it's like, the guy just give, give him some room to breathe. You know, uh, it's like a career hitter is, is exactly what we had seen in Ty France. The guy had hit at every level before he came to the big, league, uh, big leagues. So and I don't want to say exactly like Ty France. I can't guarantee that they'll be the same, but Kenzone can hit is the point. Uh, it can also give Teoscar Hernandez a break out in right field uh, as Teo has been playing nearly every game for the Mariners out there in right field, uh, which is a good thing. And they've already implemented that sort of thing. We've seen that already. Um, infielder slash outfielder Josh Rojas. Rojas is the exact sort of player that the Mariners have acquired over the last few years. He's versatile. I'd say infielder slash outfielder that describes a bunch of the guys that the Mariners have acquired in recent seasons. Um, he had a almost three war season last year. Uh, it's kind of been described as a pesky player. You talk about pesky, you talk about like a guy like Jose Caballero. Um, it's not really a big hitter, but he's, he's the versatility is what's big here. 
And a funny quote from Jerry DePoto uh, from his media availability after the trade deadline had passed on the first was that this trade would have gone through sooner had it not been the fact they wanted to include Rojas in it. So it took an extra five to six days, which is kind of funny uh, considering who it was for. So, hey, we'll see how that turns out. And then the last part of it was out to the Ryan Bliss. Bliss um, is a guy who who can hit as well. He's not a big power guy. He kind of hits over his uh, his size in terms of his power, but it kind of messes up his swing. So they've been kind of focusing less on his power and more on his actual hitting ability. Uh, he's got plus speed, and he had just making it up to the AAA level. He is now with the Rainiers and has been playing with them. Uh, and DePoto made it sound like he's not necessarily going to join the big league club anytime soon, and they're going to look for him uh, to play the rest of the season uh, at the AAA level. So for a reliever who's 33 years old, and, you know, bullpens are always volatile, so you can't guarantee that Paul Seward is going to be a, a proven commodity year in and year out. You've already got a lot of pitching depth in this organization, as I've said, to get three young athletic hitters out of it, which you kind of need in this organization, considering how often we've criticized their hitting. I think that's a good deal. I think it's a good deal. If you take the emotions out of it, which a lot of Mariner fans haven't been able to do, they've only been looking at it on the emotional side of things. If you look at it on the emotional side of things, yes, it is tough. You could argue against it, but if you take away the emotions, it makes a ton of sense. Paul Seawald's likely getting a pay raise next season. Don't know if the Mariners would have been willing to pay for that. So that's how that trade breaks down. Um, we look at some other team-related news. Uh, on the 31st, the team recalled relief pitcher Juan Ten from the AAA Tacoma Rainiers as a corresponding move as they traded Seawald. They won another bullpen arm that day. On the first, the other, well, yeah, the other trade um, that the team made on the day of the deadline was acquiring relief pitcher Edward Bizzardo, uh from the Baltimore Orioles. He had been DFA'd by Baltimore uh, a few days before on the 30th. Uh, and the Orioles received relief pitcher Logan Reinhardt from the Mariners, who had been playing uh, with the high A Everett Aqua Sox. So, hey, maybe it's another guy that the Mariners take a flyer on and they're able to excuse me, they're able to turn into one of their relievers. That's been so effective. I mean, you look at the guys who have some of the best ERAs for the Mariners in their bullpen with Saucedo and Justin Topa, guys like Gabe Spire. You hadn't heard of these guys before the season. And now they're big contributors to the bullpen. So anyway, uh, on the first, some roster moves took place. Uh, relief redhead pitcher Trent Thornton was recalled from AAA Tacoma. Um, infielder Josh Rojas and outfielder Dominic Kenzone reported to the club as they joined the team. Uh, relief pitcher Juan Thin was optioned to Triple A Tacoma, so they brought up Thornton, sent down 10. Uh, outfielder Taylor Trammell was optioned to Triple A Tacoma uh, to make room on the roster. And then infielder Colton Wong was designated for assignment. So uh, on the third, shortstop JP Crawford was named the 2023 Heart and Hustle Award winner for the Mariners. And right-handed pitcher Ryder Ryan was selected to the 40-man roster and optioned to AAA Tacoma. So we round out things here. Uh, again, somewhat of a big homestand coming up here for the Mariners who sit at a 60-win, 52-loss record, uh, eight games above 500. Um, third in the American League West, six games back from the top of the division, as I mentioned, two and a half games back. 
from that last wildcard spot. Their next games are on Tuesday, August 8th, and August 9th, Wednesday, versus the San Diego Padres. So the Padres come to town, still very much a talented team uh, with Fernando Tatis Jr., with Juan Soto. Um, There's a ton of talent all over the board for the Mariners here. Uh, I mean, for the Padres, pardon me. So they're not exactly going to be an easy team to play. And they're still trying to battle their way into a playoff spot. So they've got something to prove as well. Just a two-game set against San Diego here. Both of these games, as you can see, are 6.40 p.m. Pacific time first pitches. And then we get to the big weekend. Baltimore Orioles come to town. The top team in the American League. American League. Not even the American League. Sorry. Um, American League. uh, Second best team, arguably, in all of baseball. Uh, It's Felix Weekend. Two, Felix Hernandez, the king, will be inducted into the Mariners Hall of Fame, and the Mariners will be celebrating all weekend long. So it's going to be a hot ticket in town. August 11th versus the Orioles is a 7.10 p.m. Pacific time first pitch. August 12th versus the Orioles is a 6.40 p.m. first pitch. And then August 13th versus the Orioles is a 1.10 first pitch on Sunday as the teams close things out. It's going to be a big one. Um Again, with the sort of pitching that the Mariners have, they can be in arguably any series against any team in baseball. It's just how their offense hangs up. And if they're anything like we've seen in July and as of recent, the Mariners got a good shot. So we head over to our Storm here, who, as I talked about last week, they were able to snap their 10-game losing streak. Uh, They get back to Climate Pledge Arena here, get back home, and they weren't able to keep their little two-game winning streak going. Uh, they fall to the Dallas Wings, 65-76. to I played the game guard, Jewel Lloyd, 31 points, five rebounds, two assists, and a steal. Jewel and Arike Agunbawale for Dallas battled it all night long. Whenever these two teams play, it's always a tight, physical, intense game. <coughs> Excuse me. And these two always tend to go at it, as you can see in this photo here by Matthew Bermudez. Uh, Seattle struggled on the boards. Dallas is a really good team inside. They've got, I mean, you look at the size they have on this roster with Tara McCowan, uh, with Kalani Brown, with a uh, you know, and they've got Natasha Howard on this roster too, who was a big part of the storm for a while. If you can remember that. Uh, so Seattle has kind of struggled in the paint all season long, whether it be rebounding points in the paint, second chance points, stuff like that. Uh, and they weren't able to overcome those issues against a Dallas team that has uh, started to sort of push up against some of the best teams in this league. So not like it was sort of any pushover. After that loss at home, it was a quick little one-game return home. The Storm headed back out on the road for one one game out on the road before they come back here for a four-game homestand. Uh, August 5th at the Phoenix Mercury, uh, the Storm would win that one 97-91. I played the game guard Jewel Lloyd course i mean again how many times will you hear me say that this season uh jewel 32 points four rebounds four assists and one steal a much more complete game in this one uh, as a storm were able to go down to phoenix and beat the mercury now uh if you're looking strictly towards the draft lottery winning games isn't good for seattle uh because with that last win the storm actually moved up to uh now fifth in the Western Conference above Phoenix. So Phoenix sits at the very bottom of the West in sixth. But now the Storm are have the third lowest winning percentage, meaning they have the third best odds for the top pick. So 
It'll be interesting to see how these remaining uh, 13 games play out for the regular season. Again, I would hoped at the beginning of the season that the Storm would be really scrappy <laughs> and would be able to put together a playoff run this season. I thought there was a lot of unproven talent. It's not the case. It's not the case. We'd be wrong. It can't be totally perfect. That would you know, be unfair to you guys. So, um, yeah, it's just about kind of, again, seeing some of these players improve and grow, and that includes our player of the week, Ezzy Magbagor. Ezzy, over the past two games that the Storm played, 16.5 points per game, eight rebounds per game, 2.5 assists per game, and a half steal and half block per game over those past two games. Uh, Ezzy has really solidified herself as Seattle's second best player behind Jewel Lloyd, and that's not any diss to Ezzy. I mean, Jewel is on a whole different planet from a lot of players in this league, but Seattle has looked for that second option scoring for, you know, most of this season hasn't had it. Uh, you know, when you looked at last year's team, when, you know, Sue really hadn't been a much of a scoring threat at that point of her career, when Jewel and Stewie weren't producing much, who was going to show up? And before the team signed Tina Charles, it was largely as Magbagor. So no Tina Charles signing here this season. The Storm have been able to kind of give Ezzy free reign and just go out and let her run. And she started, I think, every game, knock on wood, of the season so far and has looked great, you know, whether it's in the paint, whether it's being able to help the scoring. So it's been great to see that. And I'm hoping that, you know, her and Drew Lloyd are able to be pillars of this roster for years to come. So um, the injury reports against the Wings and against the Mercury were both clean. So Seattle is at full health. Uh, it is interesting to see the way that the roster is shaken out now. Uh, Jade Melbourne and Yvonne Turner, both point guards, have not been getting much run as Sammy Woodcomb has taken over that spot. Sammy's played well. I'm just surprised that we haven't seen more from them. In terms of minutes-wise, I know Yvonne Turner's kind of limited with what she can contribute offensively and largely her defense. Um, but I, I don't know, a little interesting to see that Seattle still needs better rebounding, better second chance points, uh, just a better paint presence overall. And we've been talking about this all season long, so it's not like this is a new development, so to say. Um, but again, largely we're looking at the development of some of these younger players. Jordan Horston has put up some great performances off the bench for Seattle as she continues to get confidence and learn the pro level of this game. You know, so that's what I've largely been taking a look at and trying to hope that the team improves on things like taking care of the basketball, like rebounding, like their general paint presence. And sometimes they do, but they're not able to keep it consistent. So that is a big factor there, hopefully, uh, for the storm throughout the rest of the regular season. So, oh, shoot, I just had it. Oops. Yeah. So as I mentioned, uh, winning not so great for the Storm if you'd like for them to get the last pick. Um, the Storm sit at a 7-win, 20-loss record. They are 10th in the entire WNBA, 5th um, in the Western Conference. Looking ahead, four-game home send, as I mentioned. The first three games of it will be played this week. Uh, looking ahead, August 8th versus the Connecticut Sun. That's a tough game um, considering... Connecticut size, as I mentioned, Connecticut size is not a thing that Storm have been able to handle. That is a noon game. Yes, you're not confused. August 8th, which is tomorrow, Tuesday, is a noon game. That game will be available to watch on Amazon Prime Video. Um, it's, I, I don't even have to tell you what the key to that game is. I, I, I wouldn't, ideally, but 
if you need me to help you with it, it is the fact that Seattle needs to be able to do better in the paint against uh, this Connecticut team. Uh, game two of that homestand is August 10th versus the Atlanta Dream, a 7 p.m. start. Atlanta has really sort of turned things around. They have the fifth best record in the WNBA this year. Uh, they are young, but they've really turned a lot of those things around. Again, as I mentioned, 7 o'clock tip-off time. Uh, that will also be on Amazon Prime Video if you are in the state of Washington. Uh, and then to close things out against this Mercury team that the Storm just saw, uh, they'll do it at home this time, August 13th versus the Mercury, a 3 p.m. Pacific time start. Uh, as I mentioned, again, in the state of Washington, you can watch these games on Amazon Prime Video, all three of them. Um, they are on other things like Fox 13 Plus, but I don't want to pay for something like that. I'll just pay for Amazon Prime Video, which I already had. So nothing doing for our Sounders as they've got some time off. They don't play their next game until August 20th uh, when Atlanta United comes to town. Uh, if you need more soccer or more MLS in particular, because there's a few women's world cup going on and Messi is doing stuff in MLS, which is good, I guess. Uh, anyway, so we get over here to our Kraken who, yes, we've got some Kraken related news. We aren't in the training camp yet, but uh, as you are aware, the Winter Classic is coming to Seattle this season. It is taking place at T-Mobile Park. If you don't know what the Winter Classic is, I will break it down in very bare terms for you. Uh, the Winter Classic is when two teams will play an outdoor-style game in a venue that normally doesn't hold hockey, um, and the teams will have different sort of uniforms that they'll wear. So we have there's a lot of excitement around uh, the Kraken, because there were a few ideas of what they were going to be wearing and because the Kraken have already done such a great job uh, with their branding already. Um, we have a leak of what that logo will look like. Uh, you can see here on that hat design, it is largely going to be inspired by the Seattle Metropolitans, who were the first team in the National Hockey League way, way back. Yes, way before I was born, too. Um, to win the Stanley Cup as a North American team. They're the first North American team to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, so way back then. And you can see a little bit there, this low-res leak. Uh, but it should be exciting. The more arguably exciting news for the Kraken and just the city of Seattle and its hockey, uh, Seattle is among the cities that has submitted a formal application to host the 2026 IIHF World Championships. Um, Climate Pledge Arena would be among the venues for the tournament. I imagine Climate Pledge Arena would be, I mean, just said that. Uh, the Iceplex might be involved. Uh, maybe the Showware Center. Uh, maybe Angelia Wins Arena up in Everett. Uh, the decision for that is expected to be by the end of the year. Now, this is something that was kind of hinted uh, at. Uh, I talked to Todd Lewicki uh, at the Ron Francis press conference when he got extended. Uh, we talked about the venues that the Kraken had, whether it be down in Coachella Valley with the Firebirds or up here with the Kraken, and talked about a big announcement and hosting a major tournament. That's what this was. So uh, they haven't, the Kraken themselves haven't necessarily made it an announcement about it because it's not directly Kraken related. Uh, but this would be big, you know, as the hockey world in this area continues to grow. Obviously, hockey has been in this area for a while, dating back to the Metropolitans, back to the Ironmen, back to the Breakers. Uh, the Thunderbirds and Silvertips have been here for a while, you know, but just continuing to grow that further and further. Uh, and considering the facilities that are around here now, 
I think it makes a lot of sense. So it would be a lot of fun uh, to see that hosted here in the Seattle area. <laughs> that would mean that there's a lot going on in 2026 in Seattle with the Men's World Cup coming here uh, for some games and then World, world Championships coming here uh, as well. So on top of all the events that will already be happening here anyway. So we go over to our OL Reign, who continue their regular season and Challenge Cup play amidst the FIFA Women's World Cup that's taking place now. Um, the Reign would close out their UKG Challenge Cup group play. They had already locked up the Western Division title last week when they beat the San Diego Wave by a score of one to nothing. Um, so this game largely didn't have men, much stake at all in it. Taking that into account, plus the fact that Portland wasn't going to be able to uh, advance either because of how they had fared uh, throughout the Challenge Cup. So it was largely both teams getting uh, like a scrimmage in or, <laughs> or largely an exhibition. I know it doesn't play that way for a lot of players um, who need the minutes, who are younger, who might be fighting for more of a spot on this team. But largely, in terms of team stake, there wasn't much there. Uh, it was a 0-0 draw against the Portland Thorns on August 6th. Our play of the game, I kind of split it between Laurel Ivory and the team's back line. It was the, well, throughout the entirety of the Challenge Cup, the rain did not allow a goal to be scored, uh, which is a big deal. I mean, it's just a testament to the team's defensive play, and especially in a division with Portland, with Angel City, with San Diego, who have some good tacks. Uh, it, it's a, an impressive feat. So, as I mentioned, the Reign are the number one seed in the Challenge Cup playoffs. Um, their Challenge Cup semifinal that they've earned an automatic berth into is September 6th versus Racing Louisville. We don't have a time for that, uh, but the Reign will be hosting that uh, here at Lumen Field. Um, yeah, so six straight clean sheets for the rain. Uh, no goals allowed through Challenge Cup group play. It's a new record for consecutive shutout minutes, 675, which passes uh, the Houston Dash. So uh, really solid numbers there for that, which is, again, very impressive. But also on top of that, and again, I mentioned that it was we're in the midst of the FIFA Women's World Cup. Uh, it's a Challenge Cup match which you know, can draw less because it's not regular season play. Um, the rain set an attendance record of 12,061. It's a challenge cup record for the club and a regular season single match record for the club. It's not an outright record for the club because of the playoffs. Uh, the, the, uh, hell, record they set last year in the playoffs. Uh, but really impressive. I mean, for a game that had relatively low stakes, um, a challenge cup match, and one during the World Cup where the Reign are without their eight international players um, representing their countries. It's really impressive. And it was great to see. It was also Seafair Weekend. I knew it was Seafair Weekend emphatically because you could hear the Blue Angels the entire, well, not the entire time, but most of the match, which was kind of annoying. But anyway, our photo of the match here uh, by Liz Walter. You can see Laurel Ivory uh, in goal there. Another solid performance uh, from one of the two backup rain keepers. And you can see the fire in it. It's always a sucker for the fire. Um, again, it, it's not like there's too much to discuss from it, really. Um, with these Challenge Cup matches in particular, you're largely seeing the rain get players who have been depth, who are younger, who haven't really gotten the minutes before uh, getting those minutes, you know, and the rain talked about in the off season, really building this roster, not 
needing to add big signings in the offseason or big additions, rather just kind of bolstering their depth. And that's what we've seen perform here in the Challenge Cup. Younger players like Shea Holmes and Olivia Vanderyat, uh getting these minutes, at least Bennett uh, up top. And defensively, how strong they've been. Those two backup goalkeepers for the rain have been really strong. And I don't want to put the negative thoughts in your head. But when the expansion draft comes along for Bay FC and Utah, one of those keepers is probably getting selected, unfortunately, um, because of how good they are, you know, and how good they've been for the rain. Um, again, don't want to think about it. We won't think about it. I apologize for even introducing the thought. Um, but even the back line, the back line in this match against Portland was all players who didn't start for the rain with Alyssa Melanson, Phoebe McLaren, Shea Holmes, UW alum, so shout out to Shea, um, and Ryan Brown. All of those players could arguably start for a, a, a good amount of other teams around the NWSL. Um, so anyway, uh, again, largely low stakes, but to get these minutes for these players is good. Uh, the rain did sub on Sam Hyatt and Lou Barnes later into the match. Um, two players who typically start on that uh, back line, but again, point made. Uh, the injury report against Portland, uh, three players were out. Nobody was questionable. Uh, and obviously all of those eight international players were not available. Uh, Quinn was back and was present at this match, but was not available for selection. Expect to see these international players. Most of them probably take some time to get back and get ready into club play. Uh, the next regular season match isn't until, I believe I said it was, we wrote about it last night, I should know. Yeah, August 18th on the road against Kansas City. So I'd probably see some players available. Hmm. Anyway, uh, Jess Fishlock continues to be with a leg injury. They're just kind of keeping her safe for this one. She should be good to go uh, for that match against Kansas City. Defender Kellyanne Livingstone is out with a leg injury. And then midfield Luani was out with an excused absence. So, as I mentioned, have the Western Division locked up. Uh, they're fourth in the regular season table, top of the West, have already cured that berth into the semifinal. Uh, as I mentioned, that semifinal match uh, for the Challenge Cup is on September 6th versus Racing Louisville that is here at Lumen Field. Uh, no time on it quite yet. Uh, and if the rain were to win this match, they would go into the final on September 9th, uh, 9th. And since they are the highest seed, they would host, um, that would be one day before the Seahawks play a game. It'd be interesting for the conversion crew. So we will move along here. A short pit stop to our Seattle Seawolves who are in their off season, but, uh, there's some international festivities and games going on. I don't really need to do that. Um, four Seawolves participated with the USA Eagles in their win over Romania. Uh, Jake Turnbull, Tavetti Lopetti, Ina Futi, who you can see in this photo by Liz Walter here, and Pete Malcolm. So nice to see uh, the representation from our Seawolves there. Obviously, with the rain, we talk about it. Uh, the representation on the international level, which is a big deal and important for a lot of these players. But I mean, with the Seawolves to send four players out, that's also a nice big deal as well. So um, that's about it. Uh, the MLR draft is coming up on August 17th. So we will have coverage of that when that comes around. Um, we will wrap up here with our star of the week. 
today you can kind of go with stars plural. I thought largely about putting the rain goalkeepers here just because of how well they performed throughout the Challenge Cup, but because of their rise and they're making people believe again and all this and that, I decided to go with the Mariners. I mean, uh, again, I was told at the trade deadline because they traded a 33-year-old reliever that they were surrendering on the season, and there was all this panic and pain and just immediate anger. Um. And it might be 22 years old, you know, which is largely young. I know the bald head doesn't help with that. Um, you got to learn patience, right? The Mariners have a decent amount of time to go before they reach the playoffs. And just in a span like that, since the trade deadline on August 1st, they have managed to go from several teams back to now being the team looking into those three wildcard spots. They very well can do this on their own. They can control their own destiny. And at the moment, they are. So, again, let's not try to think super emotionally in the moment. Let's not freak out when they don't acquire a super mega, you know, big trade, which there wasn't really a bat on the market to trade for in general. Um, and let these things play out. Again, they are two and a half games out of a wildcard spot. They are six games out of the top of the division, which is still possible funny enough um so hey you know they are performing well right now they've got the pitching to challenge anybody their offense that has a lot of potential up and down the board with guys like as you can see in this photo Eugenio Suarez and Julio Rodriguez who has largely underperformed this season but still has some of the better stats on this team um who knows who knows what's possible we've seen them do wild things before this whole chaos ball thing. And they kind of got back to chaos ball in this series sweep over the angels. So, Hey man, you never know. Uh, before we get going, and I'll wrap it up here and I'll kind of reveal it. Ballard FC, you can see here, um, one USL league two, which USL league two, uh, in their second year as a club. I know that is more CSS futures content. And I'll go back up here so that I can put the CSS futures banner at the bottom. Um, but eh, impressive stuff happening around here in the Seattle area. So with that being said, Seahawks training camp continues. The Seahawks get into their first training camp game, training camp, preseason game uh, of the season on August 10th when they host the Minnesota Vikings. The Manners, they continue things. They've got a big homestand and Felix weekend coming up. Uh, the Storm continue their regular season, have a big homestand as well, big challenging homestand coming up for them. The Sounders have another largely a week off. So not too much to expect from them. Kraken probably don't get too much news from the Kraken this week uh, as they've been in their offseason. And I don't really expect them to do anything with the limited free agency that is left. Um, the rain don't, oh yeah, they don't have a match over the next week. So we'll probably do some other stuff with the rain. Uh, that's largely it though. These summer months, again, we start to get into the fall area. The CX are going to come back. Uh, the Mariners get closer and closer to sort of the, the playoff chase, the rain as well. Their regular season's winding down. So anyway, until we see you next week, take care of yourselves. Be well and do whatever you can to make today a great day.
Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.